passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from New York, New York. And today I'm, I'm joined by Chris Gullo, who is, oh, wow, he's not to my immediate south. He's actually to my northwest. And uh, how's the snow? How, how's uh, It's a lot. <laughs> so where I live, um, I have got over four feet. Uh, four I think feet. we're done, though. Yes, uh, the, the snow last time was done, but... Uh, Orchard Park, where the Buffalo Bills play, and we're supposed to play today, 77 inches. And that was actually before the snow last night, so it it was probably more than that. <laughs> you, um, you, in I fact, were not even told. supposed to join us today for WrestleNomics Radio. You are no. supposed to be at the Bills game. Yep. I was supposed to be in, at the Bills In game. Orchard Park. But that Bills game in Orchard Park is no longer taking place. It is taking place at the home of WrestleMania 23, yep. Ford Field, in Detroit. Is it, is, it, is it, like, officially Detroit, or is it one of those suburbs? Anyway, um, why, why do you think they canceled the Bills game? Well, it, Orchard Park did get hit the worst, and I think they just, the amount of time and crews to get the football field ready for Sunday, I mean, it's it's still like war zone out there. Like, people are still trying to, like, I, I guess I shouldn't use that term, but it's 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 still, like, you see emergency service trucks and, and all that trying to. So I, I moved my flight to to leave a day earlier. And if I hadn't done that, I would not have made it here for sure. I, I haven't looked at the airport arrivals yet or departures to see if, if uh, planes are actually moving in and out of Buffalo Airport. But um, I, par- I, did, I parked in long-term parking at the airport. I'm really curious to see what, what my situation is going to be like when I return home, assuming I'm able to return home on Monday. When, um, when do you come home uh, tomorrow? Afternoon. So you might get lucky because we're, we're supposed to get like 40 degrees <laughs> to, oh, to melt a little bit of that snow tomorrow afternoon. So Good, good. Um, I meant to ask you this this off off air, but have you, did you watch Full Gear? Um, I have watched bits and parts of it. Uh, I have not watched all of it, yes. Okay. When um, you're snowed I, in with your wife, you kind of got to compromise. <laughs> I, I watched all of Full Gear, as well as Rampage, as well as a lot of AEW Dark. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about all that today. And um, I, I'm broadcasting from, from an office building in, in New York City uh, with, with a lot of help from NJ from NJ, who will join us later to, uh, to, to argue with me, perhaps, about the oncoming supposed bubble bursting of live sports rights fees. But we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that later once we get all through um, all this AEW discussion. Um, I don't know if there'll be a ton of W discussion on this program, uh, but uh, we usually do pretty good ratings when there's AEW discussion anyhow. Um, if you, let's see, if people want to participate today, they could participate uh, by sending in a super chat, which is the button that you see uh, somewhere in your YouTube interface uh, as we bring the slides up here. We do have a few slides to show today. Um, 
So we do have some information about pay-per-view buys, which is what we have on the screen here for people watching on YouTube. Um, I have some updated estimates of the most recent pay-per-views, which are slightly different numbers than what I've reported in the past uh, for these most recent pay-per-views, which is normally the case. They, they change and they get finalized, uh, to, I guess, more final numbers. Also late buys come in. Um, so we get sort of more specific ideas of what, what these pay-per-views sold. So double or nothing, 165,000 earlier, I'd reported 155,000. So that's 10,000 higher, uh, forbidden door, 140 up from 127 all out 140, which is up from 139 because I'd been using a median of, of two numbers on either side of that. Um, in the post-pay-per-view press conference, or scrum, um, Tony Khan did it, give us an idea of what the pay-per-view buys were looking like uh, in his view. Uh, do, you, do you have that, that quote handy, Gullo? Yeah, so... <sighs> This is what Tony Khan said. Uh, Looks very positive off pre-show buys. Uh, During the pay-per-view, I wasn't tracking the buys as much, much, but it looks very similar to the recent pay-per-views. They've been very stable lately in a good range. Brandon, you say to him, 140. Tony says, yeah, I mean, that's probably not far off. That was the preliminary buys. It could be higher. It could be lower. I definitely think similar to the other shows this year, which is a really good number. I'd say the last two shows were in the range of about 140,000. Uh, and I think this could be there or better. Okay. Um, so 140 would be down year over year from 155 for full gear uh, last year. Uh, I, I bring that up because that's been a talking point in the past that they've continued to, that, that Tony Khan has just brought up, that, that the, the given pay-per-view was continuing to be higher than the one before it. And we're seeing a, a plateauing of that. And this is the first pay-per-view, presumably, after the permanent exit of, of CM Punk. And uh, it, it's, it's something we brought up before, is that the five best-selling pay-per-views in AEW's history uh, are the five pay-per-views that CM Punk appeared on for AEW. I guess now we could say All Out and Forbidden Door appear to be roughly tied. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, it's If we plug in 140,000 pay-per-view buys worldwide... Um, I can get to to a gross of about 4.5 million net net revenue for AEW when you put in a uh, a one million dollar gate uh, and and the venue merchandise, which would be somewhere somewhere between 100 and 200 thousand uh, dollars if you assume about 15 dollars per head off of the paid attendance that they probably had um, based on WrestleTix. The latest WrestleTix number that I've seen is 11,842. 11,842. I, I generally assume uh, events are about 93% paid. Uh, so that, that would bring us down to like 11,000 paid. And, uh, and then you just calculate 15 per head off of that. Anyway, you get to about five, $4.5 million in re- net revenue after what I es- estimate are splits with the various pay-per-view carriers. Um, by the way, there was some YouTube distribution on pay-per-view in some markets here, which is a first for AEW. Uh, but $4.5 million would be within the range of All Out, would be within the range of Forbidden Door, would probably be lower than Double or Nothing, would be within the range of Revolution. Um, so there's that. Uh, let's see here. What, what else do we have? Um, so I went to 
Rampage uh, as well as um, as well as Full Gear. Um, there's a lot of in fact, uh, I, was, I was convinced to uh, to go to to Rampage because I figured it might be a once in a lifetime uh, experience to actually see uh, one of the uh, the five pillars, I guess. Uh, then I, I may not may never get another chance, and, and Shohai Baba would not look favorably upon me if I passed up on this opportunity to see Junakiyama live in person. Um, he's having a tag match with Konosuke Tak Takashita versus um, Eddie Kingston and Ortiz. Uh, of course, they set up the match uh, after the show went off the air, I believe. Uh, a singles match on the the pre-show between Eddie Kingston and Junakiyama. Um, so. I will note, though, that I, so I, I went to the, the venue. This is Prudential Center in uh, Newark, New Jersey, of course. And uh, as I was entering the building near one of the one of the main entrances, they have these wonderful even the entrances are corporately sponsored at the Prudential Center. Do you know that there's an M&M entrance like Wrigley's Mars M&M? And then I think there's a Citizens Bank entrance or something like that. Is that a conflict with Prudential anyway? Um Anyways, as I was going into the, the one entrance for, this is for Rampage now, uh, I overheard, a, a, you know, two, a group of two people go up to security and say, hey, I, we're, we're seat fillers. Uh, we're looking for, you know, what entrance we should go in. Um, so I would imagine they were not the only two <laughs> who, who were participating in that event as seat fillers. Uh, so I, I just overheard that. So that that was apparently happening. Um, Have they used... Just regular people seat fillers before? Because I know of extra talent indie wrestlers that have been seat fillers for them. For AEW. But, yeah. But not, I've never heard of uh, just, you know, like WWE does, where you just get an email and you're not involved in a wrestling business. Who knows? They could have been indie wrestlers. Who knows this? I, I want to say one of these people might have been wearing an indie, indie wrestling branded shirt, but I, I don't know. Um, Man, I, don't, I, don't, I don't clearly remember. Um but in any case, I, I'm, I'm aware of, of other situations, and apparently you are too, all where there have been seat fillers used at AEW events. Um, and this this event, I can see the, the 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 need for seat fillers at this event. So uh, full gear, as we just mentioned, had you know something in excess of, of eleven thousand tickets distributed. Uh, this event for uh, the Rampage taping, uh, according to WrestleTix, had six thousand tickets distributed. Um, so this venue was like half full. Um, it was it was pretty sparse, especially like considering the just the nature of what, it, what what these solo rampage tapings are, where it's a the 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 core content, if you will, like the the, the prime piece of content uh, is at ten o'clock Eastern. So particularly when you're not doing this on the West Coast, maybe it's easier, maybe it's uh, it's smoother on the West Coast. But doing this at ten o'clock, where it, it sort of encourages people to to show up late if they're going to show up at all. In this case, where there's a lot of combo ticket sales uh, happening, where they were trying to sell tickets with uh, rampage tickets with full gear tickets. So anyway, there's a lot of two hours of AEW dark is is what what I sat through here. Um, oh, there were also some. There was did, did you did you know? As we all know, there is AEW merchandise available inside the venue. Anyone who's who is. Uh, who's attended an AEW event knows that there's AEW merchandise available inside the venue. Now, I, 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 I can report as well with my boots on the ground that there was AEW merchandise available outside the venue, which is, I don't think, normal, uh, as, as there were some individuals 
offering uh, AEW t-shirts that I'm, that I'm not sure were official official AEW okay. t-shirts. It- it's not like WWE, where WWE also has the outside stand. Okay, no, no, no. They didn't have a they didn't have a big fancy van. Uh, no, they they were just standing with a pile of shirts next to them. They they, they accepted cash as well as Venmo. They accept Venmo. Um, they were they were there before the event as well as after the event. In fact, after the event, they were offering fifty percent off uh, on on their merchandise. So great deal, great deal. I don't deal. think I've ever seen that actually at a wrestling show. Like no, I, you've never seen bootleggers at a wrestling show? Maybe not in years. Not in years. I've seen concerts and Bills. Oh my god, the Buffalo Bills shirts. <laughs> but That's I don't exactly. think I've ever I don't think it's probably been since the Attitude Era that I've probably seen that. I'm trying to remember. Like people actually selling wrestling t shirts outside, bootleggers, I haven't seen it in a long time. Well, as, as a co-host of WrestleMania, I'm sure you're aware that do you know like we get that big maybe this will ring a bell. You know, we get that big long list. Uh, sometimes in like the the spring, just before WrestleMania, of WWE's full live touring schedule. Yeah, that's because they they file a lawsuit, sort of a, a preemptive lawsuit against John Doe's, uh, who, mm-hmm. who so, so that I, I assume so that local law enforcement can in, can enforce yeah and try to stop uh, people illegally selling merchandise uh, outside the venues. Um, so. That that was happening at Eda. I think that was happening at Full Gear too. I want to say, um, it, it was interesting that there were, that, that Dasha was doing like a, an, an eight second or five second countdown before each uh, AW Dark match to sort of like I, I imagine that's like in in reaction to like a lack of attention maybe that they've that they found sometimes to try to get people people's attention focused in on uh, the the ring. Um, I feel like Justin Roberts has done that too. At times, yeah, uh, dark, uh, yeah, yeah. It it definitely feels like a, a remedy or a you know, not enough people were paying attention sometimes, and they had to. Do- hey, a big part of a ring announcer's job is to keep the crowd hyped, man. Keep them energetic. I can tell you from experience, you know. So, you know, she she might have even done it on her own recognition, looking at the energy of the crowd. So, yeah, um, <clears throat> there, there was. I had a lot of thoughts as I was sitting there watching AW Dark about about the Ring of Honor interaction and I, I i would argue dilution of of, of the aw brand and of, of aw talent um and there was quite a bit of discussion on the uh, the media scrum which which people can find on aw's official youtube channel uh as, as well as from members of the media who were there um i i'll say that will nightingale was more over than her push she was very over to, to a crowd that was not well populated it was a very different atmosphere from night one compared to night two um, but I, I, I couldn't help but notice sitting there watching all these matches for, for AW Dark with a crowd that was, you know, kind of into it and kind of waiting for Rampage. They weren't super hot for Rampage either. Um, but it, it, it felt like there's, over time in AW, it's increasingly become the case that there's a lot of talent. You know, more talent this month than last month or this quarter than last quarter. Um, and AW only has a finite amount of TV time. Yeah, they have Dark, but I don't think Dark is is reaching nearly as many... It's definitely not reaching nearly as many people as Dynamite is, and to a lesser extent, Rampage is. And I think there's only a finite appetite that they're going to be able to achieve there, let's say, three hours. And the appetite that people have for Rampage is diminishing based on 
the diminishing ratings of Rampage. And you can have all this ancillary extra stuff on YouTube, AW Dark. That's fine. A very diminished population of people, a very diminished audience is going to be willing to consume that stuff. The point of all this is to say, this is the the, the space and time that you have to to get people over, to get talent over. Um, While your talent pool is growing. Um, so basically, I'm, I'm saying I think they have too much talent. And I think they're left with, with, with the, the amount of talent that they have now, they're sort of left with two bad alternatives. And one is to sort of more evenly distribute that talent over their core hours of, say, Dynamite and Rampage, um, and to just sort of share the time with everybody more, give, you know, give everybody more equal time, which gets everyone over less because then everyone has less time to get over. Um, or they could not do that and just use select talent more. I think this is probably the better of, of two bad alternatives. But just to, to use select people more, focus on those people, get those people over more strongly. Um, but then that kind of wastes the money that you're spending on that talent, the travel expense that you're spending on that talent. Um, you're probably risking the morale and goodwill of, of the people who are not getting used. Um, and for the talent themselves, it's, it's probably not the best way to have them spend their career and to have them develop as talent. Um, and I think that the dilution of that, it's, it's resulting in lower TV ratings, uh, lower ticket sales, especially for Rampage. Um, and I think arguably lower TV ratings and ticket sales for, for Dynamite. Um, and ultimately, I, I suppose, lower pay-per-view buys as well. Um, you know, we, we've talked about, and I think we talked about on Thursday uh, for subscribers in the, the podcast that we did as soon as I got out of Grand Central, uh, about it's, pre- it's becoming pretty clear that AEW's attendance is waning, especially when you look at it in what I think is the fairest way to look at it, by looking at it market-to-market, uh, event type to event type. By that, I mean, let's look at the Dynamite ticket sales for a given town compared to the last time they were there. And yes, some of this is is comparing a first time in the market to uh, the second time or the third time they've been in the market. And perhaps there's some natural diminishing returns from that. Um, but some of it, I think, is related to, well, the lack of CM Punk, who I think, it, I, I, I believe we've demonstrated here, was clearly their strongest individual talent draw. Yes, CM Punk is a draw. Um and, and and other absences too. I mean, they've they've finally got Kenny Omega and then Young Bucks back. But um, and I think there's just a, a sort of malaise over the product, certainly going into into this weekend, that has contributed to lower Rampage TV ratings, most prominently, uh, lower ticket sales, and we did not see a strong Dynamite rating this past uh, Wednesday, a point two eight point two eight in the demo, which was their lowest since June in the regular time slot. Um, so yeah, this was kind of a a, a low energy uh, dark taping, um, but it's, it's to see people like um, uh, Zach Clayton who had like a, sh- a short squash match, um, and he, you know this is someone who is like a, a former reality TV star who may have potential, uh, but to whatever extent he has potential, I think it's hardly going to be developed in these sort of short matches that they're having in front of crowds that are not not super hot, uh, having matches with you know so the the 
a, a, an indie enhancement talent who's not more known than than they are, who may not be the you know the they may have a fine match and may serve the the purpose that you want to achieve here. We want to have like a let's say a three minute match where Zach Clayton squashes somebody. Um, fine match. Does it develop him to whatever extent he's going to be developed? Uh, is that the best situation for him? I would argue not. Uh, yeah, I mean to your point, Brandon. I I mean I thought when Elevation was announced, right that it was going to be different, that it was going to be three to four matches before Dynamite that had, you know, mid-card talent versus mid-card talent, maybe a top talent versus competitive matches, you know what I mean? Not just enhancement talent matches against, you know, uh, an AEW star. And just we haven't really seen that since, like, the first couple of weeks. Um, I really think they should pivot that way. Like, you just give the crowd three to four matches, so you don't really burn them out by the time they get the Rampage, too. Give them three to four competitive dark elevation matches. Give them dynamite, then give them rampage, and I think it would be a better fan experience. And then any of the enhancement tail matches, you could put those on the dark tapings in Orlando. I think um, in, in the media scrum, Will Washington from Fightful and, and Tony had an interesting discussion about. I, I, I could I could see Tony getting ready to say it before he said it about. Mm-hmm. It, Will, Will was asking about if, if the number of pay per views that are being done between AEW and Ring of Honor is the right number. And, and if that's the same number that they're going to do, let's say next year, essentially is what he was asking. Um, and Tony wanted to clarify, when, when, when you say you, you mean Tony Khan, not AEW and Ring of Honor, because Tony, Tony apparently views AEW and Ring of Honor as more separate entities than I think the average person does. Um, so, and... Uh, yeah, it, it, it's 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 a way that he views the two brands as separate that I don't think the market views the two brands as separate. And I think that that difference is allowing him to justify what I think is ultimately diluting the AW brand and and encouraging him to bring in more and more talent that have no additional time to get over. Um so I, th- I think that's something that's, along with the loss of CM Punk, is contributing to a malaise in AEW. Um, so all that said, I think this going into this pay-per-view, this is a, a, a big moment to step up to the plate. And if you have a bad pay-per-view here, that's going to be a, 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 another layer of malaise on the product. But I don't think that's what we had here. Um, Cagematch.net, last I looked, as of as of late last night at like 3 a.m. Sorry, everybody, by the way, we're starting late here. I got I got back to uh, where I was staying uh, with family at like 3 a.m. Um, but uh, going in, in, into this pay-per-view, I think it's, it was really important that they had a great show. Um, and most AW pay-per-views have been well-received, at least if you look at the Cage Match ratings. Um, I think Cage Match is, 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 has start, started to put a block on... I don't know if you can rate them, but you definitely can't look at the the, uh, the event rating immediately after the show starts or immediately after the show ends. So if I, I'm going to the full gear page, oh, we do have you have an eight point six eight as I sit here right now. So how does that compare? Um, let's see here. But yeah, I, I think it's, it was really important that AEW has a home run show. Um, the uh, the first two matches were were really good. The, the cage match and the six man tag match. Um, 
I, I have to say that the, the Jade Cargill and Nyla Rose match just as, as you know, as that match was going to the ring and after the six man tag, which was a really excellent match and the crowd was super hot for the elite's first match in months, uh, people got up and like just there were a lot of people were filing up the stairs and, and into the concourse. Um, so there's I think there was just a lot less attention paid on that match. Um other things that I, that I think were, were, were prominent to point out uh, when the, the tag match between um, Jeff Jarrett, uh, Jeff Jarrett teaming with Jay Lethal against Sting and Darby Allen, uh, Jeff Jarrett's music hit. Uh, what's the name of the song? My, my World? Yes. Uh, and somebody behind me, I was sitting with a lot of media, so I'm not sure who said it. Uh, somebody behind me says, uh, I, I wrote it down. This song sucks. It makes me think of TNA. And I don't want to think about TNA, which I thought was an apt way to to point to how Jeff Jarrett's presence affects the AW brand in that it's it's supposed to be you know, AW is supposed to be the strong alternative in the face of a lot of things that, that have tried to be a strong alternative and haven't been the strong alternative that fans have wanted uh, from from a non W product that, that is high profile um, and his his presence there makes people think of the disappointment that's associated with TNA. Um, and another thing that, that came to mind, you know, sitting and watching the press scrum, especially at, at the moment where he was sitting between uh, Anthony Bowens and Max Caster, um, it, it seems like, like Tony has like a, a deep emotional investment in talent. And I think he gets, I would speculate that he gets very connected to talent and, and at least some people he wants, he, 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 he can sense that he feels really proud of them, right? As they're sitting there and they've, they're they're doing well and they're getting very over and they're apparently selling a ton of merchandise, um, and you can see sort of an, an, an emotion on his face that that you know he's he's worked hard with them and tried to get them over and it's, and it's worked out. And I imagine that he's grown a lot of emotional attachment and, and investment into a lot of talent. And I I'm I'm guessing that that has resulted in things like having a show that um, that's a four hour show that that has a lot of great matches and a lot of great talent on it, but it's just a lot to digest and it's a lot to ask of the viewer. Um, and there's just a lot of talent in, in AEW that I think is ultimately to the, to the, to the detriment of the greater good of, of the talent in general. Um, so yeah, any thoughts or, or, or questions or things to dig into on all, all these, uh, free willing things. Um, that you said, Gullo. You're, 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 you're frozen. In, yeah. Uh, in so well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. What would you so you know you kind of mentioned a little bit the, the interest of the match is um how was the crowd from start to bottom it, it, as far as energy do you think they got burnt out? I mean it was a lot of matches, you know. It still ended late. Do you think Yeah, the cr- crowd was super hot for the beginning of it. I I would say the crowd was was not the, the crowd through AW Dark on Friday night was not great. The, through Rampage they were better. Um, again, you got like a 12,000 seat venue or whatever it is, um, that was only half full following night. They had a a full venue. Um, and I imagine coming across on, on television, uh, I know Alan Forel from Alan Cunan from, uh, the, the torch, uh, mentioned that he, you know, and I haven't seen any of this on, on the telecast myself, but he mentioned that he felt that they, they, AW must be miking the audience differently. Um, and I and I did notice, and it was right right in front of where they had us seated uh, in, in sort of media row. There was 
there were these these three things, and I, I took pictures of them and, and and tweeted them. These these things that I imagine are are microphones that were not present. I, was, I look back at my pictures that I that I taken because I took a bunch of pictures uh, on Friday night and sent them to WrestleTix. Uh, so I looked at those pictures and I couldn't find these these microphone looking objects anywhere in my Friday night pictures. But but there these objects were on Saturday night. So I think they are mic- micro- micing the the Saturday or uh, micing the the pay per view differently than. Then they mic'd Rampage, which I'm guessing is they just that is specific a specific way that they mic the crowd for for pay per view. Um, I don't know why they do that. I, 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 I you would think they would want it. You would think that that's not a, a, a huge added expense to to add some some audio equipment and, and and production, but I maybe they just want to be able to manage you know the 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 chance that end up on TV. I don't know. Um, I thought the crowd was not that invested in in the Nyla Rose match and uh, Nyla Rose and, and Jade Cargill match. Uh, a ton of heat for the, for the first two. Um, the crowd for the for the main event was was a little tired too, but but MJF and uh, Moxley were very over. Um, so yeah, did you uh, do you have the uh, the quote from from Tony Khan? I think he he revealed the a, a number for pay per view buys for Ring of Honor, which is at least new to me. Um, which was in, in the course of his discussion with Lil Washington about uh, the Ring of Honor, the, the pay-per-view load for Ring of Honor in AEW, and the semantics of, of Ring of Honor in AEW. Um, you have that quote? Yeah, well, I, I have this specifically on the Ring of Honor pay-per-view buys. Um, it would be, it would probably be 25% or so what you get from an AEW pay-per-view, or less than 25% from an AEW pay-per-view. Say a number like 35,000 buys at the price point for Ring of Honor, which is also a lower price point. So this was, yeah, as you said, this was in the middle of a whole big thing about Ring of Honor kind of being separate from AEW, and it was, <laughs> there was a lot to take there. But, you know, we, we saw this here about the pay-per-view buys, 35000 Yeah, so that that's that sounds like something that's in the realm of a real number that he's referring to there, which would be... A quarter, about a quarter of what these AW pay-per-views are doing. We, he gave people the impression that Full Gear did, is going to end up measuring something around one hundred and forty thousand. Um, I would be surprised a little lower than one hundred forty thousand. Uh, I definitely would have predicted lower. Um, I would have expected lower, just based on the lack of CM Punk. Um, based on the, the weakening that I'm starting to see in, in other areas, including attendance and TV ratings. Um, so, yeah, I think... And anyway, Ring of Honor doing about a quarter of um, of AEW pay-per-view buys, that sounds right, I guess. That sounds realistic. And it also sounds, as, as Tony has said, better than, than what Ring of Honor had been doing pretty much at any point in its history. Um, so, anyway... Um, we had one other thing to do here. So in the in the press conference, um, Denise Salcedo asked him essentially if uh, so. There's a six man tag best of seven that's been set up now between the Elite and Death Triangle. Seven matches. They announced dates for them. We have the slide. We can put it on the screen. There it is. It's uh, March first, or not not March first. Match one, November nineteenth, which already happened. That was the pay per view. Match two is in uh, uh, in Chicago at Wintrust. Match three is in Indianapolis, uh, de- November 30th. The next one is December 14th in Garland. 
The next one is December 21st in San Antonio. The next one is December 28th in Denver, Colorado. And then they skip a week. And then the seventh match, if necessary, which I'm sure it will be, is in Los Angeles on January 11th. So what, what, what week are they skipping over there between December 28th? Or what, what day are they skipping over there between December 28th and January 11th? What is the Wednesday? January, January 4th, we're at Wrestle Kingdom, NAEW's in Seattle. Yes, and it was announced this morning uh, on the, the New Japan show. I believe there's a, a New Japan stardom show that happened to What Is Us this morning. And, and they announced a Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay match that will happen at, uh, at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, so anyway, he was asked in the, in the press conference, Tony was, before New Japan had announced this, obviously, uh, about whether, uh, basically whether they were going to appear, or Kenny Omega was going to appear uh, on Wrestle Kingdom. And uh, he was coy about it, probably knowing that, he, that this announcement was coming and, and not wanting to, to spoil New Japan's announcement. Um, so there's that. Um, all right. Uh, before we get to uh, sports rights talk, let's do mm-hmm. some super chats if that's okay with you. Fine. All right. So uh, main event Mike here, uh, pull him up, uh, says, great questions last night on the scrum and the pre press pre-show call, Brandon. So, yes, you, you're, uh, you got some good questions at the I, I thought... Thank you, man, event Mike. Thank you, guys. Um, so I think there's um, the media scrum. I thought was a pretty good media scrum. Um, I hesitate to say too much about wrestling media in general because I'm involved, I guess. But I thought there were a lot of good questions, and you, you can look back at other media scrums and media calls and say, "Well, there's a lot of softball and careful questions being asked." But I thought this was a pretty good one in terms of thoughtful and and. And in newsworthy questions being asked, um, has all out changed the dynamic of these to maybe a more journalistic approach? I thought the all out press conference was was fine too, but maybe, um, and, may, and maybe just I think some of the, the criticism of of the media's conduct <laughs> in these situations is probably in the air and, and maybe causing people to, to reflect too. Um, but it, but it helps to have you know. To have John Pollock there, I thought John Pollock asked a you know a few really good questions. It's it's uh we're uh there, there's probably more post wrestling praise to come later in this podcast, but um so we should we should talk a little bit maybe later about uh, the our our experience at uh, the post wrestling uh, fifth anniversary live event. Um, but just like I'm I'm just astounded by like how did he get that out of his brain? I I could never have gotten that that kind of question out of my brain. Uh, so I, I thought there were some good questions asked. Um, I'm not saying it was it was perfect, but it was I it was the most satisfied I think I've, I've felt with uh, the media's uh, contribution in, in those situations. And we have another super chat here from Tim B. Has combo ticketing backfired for AEW? I don't know. Like, it would would uh, would would it have been any different? I, I think they've. So what they've done is they've tried to. I, I believe there there were situations uh, on previous pay per view weekends where they've done. You know, be, because it, it makes sense financially to run a rampage on Friday, a pay per view on Saturday or Sunday in the same venue, so you don't have to to load in and load out, and you sell some more tickets and you, and you sell some more merchandise. So it makes sense to do that. The problem is they've they've ended up with weekends where yeah the pay per view is basically sold out, but the rampage is it doesn't do nearly as well to try to resolve that as Tim B is pointing out here. 
they've tried to tie those two tickets together. So you have to buy both tickets. Um, so I believe what happened last on, on Friday in particular is that there were a lot of tickets that were sold for this event. They sold them, and I think a lot of people did not show up. I think there's a, a healthy chunk of that audience on Friday night that just didn't show up for the tickets that they paid for. So AEW's getting their money. They're not getting. I, I don't. But I don't know if if they applied some other strategy that they would get a more energy and you know and more energized crowd that would be like it would help make the show great. Um, but they're getting the money out of it at least. So they're getting more more revenue this way and probably a similar atmosphere. Um, the 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 answer ultimately as as to all Russ Lama's questions is just create an, an even more compelling product and you'll you'll sell even more tickets. Um, Delmar uh, Abdi uh, heads. Any potential theories of why AEW dropped to eight hundred eighteen thousand? Not really. I mean, I think people. I've, I've noticed if you if you go back, I think you'd find that some of these go home shows end up not performing particularly well. I don't know if there's any any reason there, but um, it's it's a disappointing rating, and I think it's reflective of some waning interest in, in AEW. I mean, it's not a huge drop yet and if they consistently delivered these numbers that would be a lot more concerning um dynamite seems to be benefiting from a post pay-per-view bump usually we'll see if that continues on wednesday um it it, it, it surprises people and i i I think about whether or not I i should do this more but i don't try to apply narratives that i that i hear a lot of other people try to apply to a a week of of tv ratings um I think there are narratives we can apply to months of TV ratings and quarters of TV ratings and certainly years of TV ratings. Um, we talked on Thursday about how I can clearly see NXT improving its TV viewership. Um, no, it's not not nearly what Dynamite is and certainly not nearly what Raw and SmackDown are, but there's a real truthful narrative that you can apply to the NXT TV ratings. Um, there's a truthful narrative that you can apply to Rampage declining TV ratings. Um, we need more pieces of the story to apply a more meaningful narrative to the dynamite rating. But this is not a good piece of that story. This, this 818,000 viewers on Wednesday. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by nerd wallet, smart money podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with on nerd wallet, smart money podcast. Their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, I think we are all caught up with Super Chats. You can still uh, enter some Super Chats uh, on the YouTube page with your question with the little dollar sign right under it. Put any amount that you think is fit for the question. And we thank all of you for your Super Chats today and and previously as well. All right, so uh, time to talk some sports rights with MJ from MJ. We'll, we'll set this up first with um, – yeah. My, so I, I asked two questions, I think, on the press conference, and I asked about pay buys, and then later I asked him um, this this uh, question, which we'll, we'll do our best to set up now. Um, what are 
you could tell us what your perspective is of just the, the broader live sports rights market uh, in the future. If there, maybe there's a, a recession on the horizon. Um, there's some anxiety about whether you know, the cable industry will, will stay strong. WBD, your partner, is, is talking about cost-cutting frequently. So I, I, I imagine that you have a pretty positive outlook on it. It's so important to AEW's future financially. So just, just wondering what your thoughts are on the, the live sports rights market. Well, I've always been able to take a long view on AEW content. Uh, you know, we have a lot of resources as a family, and it's a family business. So uh, AEW was able to launch with a good upfront investment and then build big revenue uh, very quickly. And now we have really strong revenue streams that have allowed us uh, to probably, like I said, take the long view of how things play out in 2023, 2024. And I feel like the most important thing for AEW is that we have a really strong media partner with Warner Brothers Discovery. And that partnership has only gotten stronger as the merger happened. And Warner Brothers Discovery has given us more responsibility, more opportunities, at, uh, additional content. And uh, I think it's going to be good. I mean, not only have we probably got more opportunities to get more content in the WBD pipeline, but also uh, we've had more opportunities to have interconnectivity and integrations with their shows and things that are important to them. So I think we've become an important player. And, you know, like you alluded to, it's been a challenging time for some media properties, but I think for AEW, by having strong year over year ratings where we are up year over year and, you know, for the entire year. And it's also been a positive quarter for Q4. The pay-per-view buys have been really strong. Uh, so I think uh, for AEW, while it is probably uh, for some companies that haven't had the kind of success that AEW has enjoyed in 2022, I could see why uh, it would be a concerning market for us. I'm actually really optimistic about it, but uh, that is a good question. Okay. So um, basically what I got from his answer is that um, he has a long, he's always been able to take a long view of, of the sports rights market. Uh, they've made an investment uh, with, with, with Shad Khan. Um, and then he went on to talk about how, how you know, strong that relationship is between WBD and AEW. And that's only going to get stronger. And he kind of made a, a, a a, a basic case for for AW continuing to be a valuable TV rights property, which is he pointed out year over year increases in TV ratings. Um, so I don't know if, if he actually got to what, what I was hoping he would get to was like, why do you think that TV rights will continue to be as valuable in general going forward? So um, I suppose now to participate in some discussion with us about this topic is a uh, is our friend MJ from uh, who I will I will change my microphone setting now so that he can he can also participate here. So anyway, hi hi MJ for MJ. First of all, thank thank you for for helping us helping WrestleNomics have a place to record. So I did not have to record just outside Grand Central Terminal as I did uh, on Thursday. And we're sitting pretty close to each other right now, so if, uh, <laughs> we're looking at each other, the audience knows uh, why. Yes. You were looking for a Nick Khan esque. I was I was looking for a, a, a lecture on on how the media business works. Yeah, I guess so. Well, 
you know, I don't know what Tony and the family business's long-range plan is, but I think it will continue to be a valuable property. And I think it's starting from a place where its current value is considerably lower than the competitor in its industry. So therefore, it looks like a value proposition. And I think that's going to prove uh, beneficial and fruitful for AEW going forward in a way that some of the more mature sports properties and maybe oversaturated sports properties uh, may not. Um, one of the things I kind of thought about bringing up, but I didn't bring up in the question, is that you've got basically every TV rights deal for sports that I'm aware of. And Gullo and I have talked about some of the mo- most recent ones. Conference USA, right? That, yeah, not, that, yep, not a huge increase, but an increase. What, what, what was it, though? Like, except, what was it, 40%? You remember? Uh, in any case, it was, it a, yeah, I think it was around there. In any case, it got a raise. Formula One got a big raise. Um, big Twelve got a big raise after, and they're losing Texas and Oklahoma. It was right. a huge, yeah, right. When I think about those, I mean that to me, Chris, is the potential oversaturation of throwing all this money at college football conferences, um, the NCAA basketball. At some point, when does it hit a ceiling? And right now, they're all getting renewals. Uh, it's coming at an advantageous time for them uh, as we kind of now are heading into a rising interest rate environment, which will uh, kind of stretch some of these companies that are already not profitable. Uh, you think about some of these streaming endeavors, uh, they were lost leaders. And the idea was that the lost leader will long-term play out to be something that can drive other core businesses or in fact, just be profitable on its own. And I think now as we see some of these, uh, the conferences you mentioned, some of the other sports leagues, whether it's uh, the MLS or lacrosse or the new golf live league, at some point, is it worth them spending more and more money? Not that they will not spend money. And so maybe when I say the bubble will burst, I'm not referring to like a complete collapse. It's not going to look like the crypto market. It might not look like the housing market that we remember from a decade ago. But it can certainly plateau. And then you can start to see chips fall. And whether or not the next renewal uh, go around, that's where you see declines. As soon as you see that negative on the, the comparison to the prior year, I think that's when you start to say, okay, this has peaked. Uh, you got to keep in mind, the last decade, there's been a lot of very cheap money to throw in all these properties because it was the only way to retain eyeballs. And I look at that and say, okay, I think that is a trend that has to reverse uh, as it's going to across the rest of the economy. And when you say cheap money, what does that mean? So we've lived in a, they call it ZERP. Um, and this is not financial advice, it's not ZERP? investment advice. ZERP, zero interest rate environment. Uh, basically, interest rates have been extremely low, almost near zero. We are now hearing, and perhaps people that are listening to this have heard in in more traditional news about rising interest rates, and they're doing this to combat inflation and and what that might mean for the economy. Different than a recession, we're just seeing the cost to borrow. If I want to borrow money from you, Brandon, you're going to charge me a little big, a percentage. Well, if it was zero or less than one, I'd probably keep coming back to you for more if it's five, six, seven percent, and we have not come close to that yet, I think that's going to change the way that a lot of these uh, companies, technology companies, 
uh, in these kind of growth at all cost companies approach the future. And I think that's a lot of the streamers right now. And like a- average people would see this, these interest rate changes in in their mortgages. If they bought a house it, today, they would be buying with a higher interest rate than in previous years. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. If you're going or a car to- loan. Exactly. Um, and then like, how, how does that change? This is particularly affecting networks, right? The networks that are paying the sports, the sports rights companies like WWE, like AEW, like the NFL. Yeah. They just don't have, it's more expensive for them to, to take out loans though. But these are the, these are some pretty rich companies though, I would think like, but they, but they're still nonetheless borrowing a lot of money. They're borrowing a lot of money. Um, if you think about the equity markets where they can often raise money, so not debt. Obviously, we're not in a great market environment that we were over the last few years when you would be able to issue more stock and generate money that way, generate equity that way, uh, cash. And some of these companies, frankly, don't do as well as I think a lot of the public think. If you look at Amazon, for example, AWS carries Amazon. They're not as profitable on e-commerce. Amazon Prime is a loss leader, and the more that they go after big properties like the NFL, it, it could continue to be a loss leader. And what is the ultimate path to profitability? Does a company like Apple and Amazon want to uh, dip into the profitable areas of their business to go chase this, what I call being new cable? We're going to have all the things that people keep cable for, like sports and must-see events, and then, you know, what are they going to do? Raise prices to the point where it's no longer what the consumer can keep up with? And I think that's where we're going to hit a crossroads at some point in the future. And I'm just looking at it as maybe a bit of a contrarian. That if I'm an investor, do I want to uh, saturate or, or go into the existing businesses that are really good and say, you know what, those are really profitable? But go ahead and lose all this other money and go chase the the the, the white rabbit, if you will, on streaming. And in the case of Apple, that's they sell iPhones, for example, and they have a very powerful business doing that. In the case of Amazon, it's their retail business and web services. Am I getting that right? I, I would say more as, as an investor in both of those yeah, companies, I should say. Yeah. I, <laughs> and, and I am not an investor in those companies. Uh, I still am a bit long on WWE uh, up until we see what these rates are going to be. Uh, I think I've been on that one throughout the year. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, and then Brandon, I presented the question last week in the super chat. As an investor, do you want to see Amazon continue to invest billions of dollars in a loss leading? Uh, Part of their business. Mm-hmm. Amazon Prime is a pretty mature business line. There's not many people now that are signing up for additional content mm-hmm. that don't have Amazon Prime. <clears throat> but I, th- I think the prices will will be raised gradually over time. And I think I think like that's something that I've tweeted about, in a, I think in a joking way here and there, is that there's, there's already this culture of my cable bill is too high. And like as as a consumer, I've never really experienced that. I've I've never subscribed to cable. I've never done that on my own. I, obviously, my parents had cable. Not obviously, uh, and I think as time goes on, this this luxury of being able to subscribe to Netflix for ten dollars or whatever it is now. I should do subscribe to Netflix, but I don't know what the price point is. But uh, but but being able to subscribe to these streaming services for ten dollars 
I think is sort of a, a bait to get tons of consumer activity and, and tons of loyalty. And once you've got people hooked and essentially addicted, I think that's going to continue to increase and increase and consumers will kick and scream and complain. Then there might be a lot more volatility about it because it's not tied up in a bundle. And there's one problem I think the, the media world is, is facing is that the part of the attraction it, to, to all these streaming services is the ease of which you can cancel and resubscribe. I think that is a big deal. I think it's really underrated that that friction of I don't I don't want to go through the hassle of like having to get somebody into my house to sign up for cable and all the rigmarole that's involved in that. Not to mention the actual expense that's involved in that. Um, but streaming is so much more convenient. Not only is it cheaper, but it's also easy for me to cancel and get rid of it if I want without having to have the cable guy get into get into my house. I'll give you a great example. Uh, Game of Thrones, House of the Dragons ended. I canceled HBO. Mm-hmm. Yellowstone started. Yes. I got Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. And I will continue to do that until they stop it and figure out a way to make me be a subscriber. Like Amazon Prime got me, right? Because I wanted to watch Thursday Night Football. I'm in for the year. Uh, ESPN, and, and you don't subscribe to Amazon Prime year-round? I do now because it's an annual subscription. It's an annual subscription. Like the one that I ended up yeah. stuck okay. with after the free trial, yes. yes uh, but again, I tried for the free trial. Andy Jassy, yeah. Uh The other thing is we're looking at ESPN now putting in price increases for the first time. And we're going to see how that uh, affects its subscriber base. Netflix went a very long time without increasing prices. Uh, they went a very long time without cracking down on sharing. And the idea was that they just wanted to, like you said, get people addicted. You know, we think about a lot of companies, and if you move outside the, the media space, they were giving away tons of value and services for cheap because they were trying to disrupt. Uber rides cheaper than taxis mm-hmm. on your phone. At some point, they have to raise prices, and we're going to see that now. In, I, I feel like Uber is there. I mean, Oh, I, they're there now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are other companies. Uber used to be a great deal. Lyft used to be a great deal. And now it's it's like. It's a cab. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but it's just a convenient way to get it rather than, like, i got to hail one down or, or call somebody. Bingo. So, so let's turn this back to media. Will streaming be an easy way to keep watching shows you always watched on cable? Right? So is the idea that we're going to take these properties, throw them on streaming, and people are going to go to streaming? I've always viewed companies that come to market with easier ways to do things. You call those the disruptors. And they disrupt the existing way. And now, even though Uber has raised their prices, I'm always using Uber because it's on my phone. It's so easy. I can't imagine life without it. Mm-hmm. I think about this for WWE going to Amazon. Am I logging into Amazon on a Monday night to watch WWE when my historical pattern has been to watch it on cable, hit the last button, go to ESPN to watch the football game, maybe check into what's going on with the news if there's a big event, but then I can flip back to the main event of Raw. All of a sudden, the consumer behavior. So you're talking about like friction in particular, but like, is it is it that much? Is it more friction to like? I've watched Thursday Night Football. I put it on at least, and I I I felt like it was pretty easy for me to. I have an Apple TV, you know, connected to the TV, and I and they make it very clear because it's it's the big live event that's happening right now. As soon as you you turn on the Amazon Prime Video app, that there's a a big NFL graphic or whatever, and, and you just hit it live. Is it, is it that much friction? Well, can you jump to another station if you want to watch something during a commercial? No. 
But is, is that is that something that people still do? Like I used to do that as a kid. And we used to have like you know, a, a, a TV remote, and 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 the, and the channels would flip, 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 flip. And I know people. I think the, the alternative to that now is like people browsing through the guide, right? Um, and I know like there's a lot of systems that have like the guide with the picture in in the guide, so you can see what's on the TV as you browse through the guide. Um, is that is that such an important part of the consumer behavior that I don't know it, it significantly changes the game? I don't know. Well. To me, a lot of what the consumer behavior is right now with television and why sports rights are said to be so bulletproof, so to speak, Mm -hmm. is that that's what draws eyeballs. It's appointment viewing. Thursday night, as we've pointed out, Amazon owns Thursday night with Thursday Night Football now. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen it with the WWE on Peacock that it has a great viewership for premium live events. The question I have is... Regular season NBA, regular season hockey, Monday Night Raw. Are these things that are appointment viewing? And are these things that people are going to go seek out on a platform that is not where they traditionally consumed it, nor is it easy enough to kind of view it passively or have things like we're talking about flip back and forth? Um, So I think there's some risk there for the properties to go after the, the big offers from these tech companies. And I think there's some reconsiderations that may take place about going after them when it comes to how profitable have, have you seen the Thursday Night Football ratings? Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, it, And that's really encouraging me to, to say, I mean, you probably heard me say it, that, look, this is a, 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 a show that is doing nearly as well on streaming as it was doing on traditional TV. Um, now, that wouldn't have been the case a few years ago, and streaming was not embraced enough at that point, and cable you know, conversely, was not diminished enough at that point. But that's really encouraged me to, to start to make the case that WWE and Amazon could have a, a really plausible discussion about having either Raw or SmackDown on, on Amazon Prime Video. Um, Gully, you wanted to jump in? Yeah, I have a question here. You know, we're talking about a recession and a bubble burst. He, he had the Gully, I want to jump in face. I could, I, I, I've I, learned I, to read it. I, I, think the, I think the bigger, uh, not a bigger question, but a question for me would be like, you know, we're talking about bubble bursts. What about these streaming services just either merging or just going under? Because oversaturation does happen. I mean, we're going to lose HBO Max. It's going to merge with Discovery Plus. We just, I would assume that's the assumption. We don't know what's, and who knows how really, what, I mean, Peacock's not doing great. Paramount Plus, they're not doing great compared to, you know, the other streaming services. So does that maybe make the, the sports rights? You know, maybe not decrease, but not have a huge increase because there's going to be less competition because somebody like Amazon might now be, you know, sitting pretty because they have less streaming services that can compete or less networks that NBC Universal and Warner Bros. Discovery. We heard that rumblings. I mean, speculating here, I do believe there will be consolidation in this space. I think it may actually help. Um kind of backstop the value of these because at that point, now is the only place to get it. We yeah. see the NBA coming up on their renewal. It'll be very interesting to see whether they spread their rights out across multiple parties and is that the way that they retain the value or get an increase? Um, but I think consolidation is inevitable. I mean, some of these are losing billions of dollars now and I don't know what the path to profitability is. Um, you see an activist investor go to Disney and say, hey, maybe spin out an ESPN. 
And they do that because they're looking at Disney's core businesses and other potential business lines and things that they can get into and saying, okay, is ESPN a drag? Granted, ESPN is a big part of the Disney, I'll call it the cable bundle offering. But again, it goes back to that question of how much do you want to keep spending if you're not able to actually turn it into a profitable business line? And the one thing I'll just go back on, recession is a little bit different than what I'm suggesting. We may go through a recession. It may be deep. It may be shallow. It'll affect consumers, affect certain parts of the economy. The interest rates to me are key. All of these streamers did this, um, did their launches and raced to market during 2020 and 2021. Again, when the ability to get capital was very cheap. And we've not seen interest rates back up around 4 or 5% in many years. Uh, and if you go back to, I think, the, seven, the, the, the 90s or so, it was around, around 7%. Um, and we saw a lot of tech companies try to get really big really fast. It didn't work out. So that's where I think about it. And it's a little different than a recession just because the recession will play out in the zero interest rate environment may not come back, which changes the calculus of these businesses. So um, the next big TV rights deals that are coming up are AEW, actually in this order, WWE, AEW. I think UFC will come up before the NBA and then the NBA. Um, what do you think WWE gets? 1.5x a good base case, higher or lower? I've gone 360 on this. Uh, at the start of the year, I did believe that there was a lot of value in the company. I think now it's probably realized... I think the base case... And you're, still, you're, you're long on WWE right now? I'm still a bit long on it, yes. Okay. Looking into early 2023 with some positions. Because I am now back on the, on the case, the bear case. Are they going to get a 1.5 increase? And I think that 1.5 increase that's been put out there is now baked into the stock price. I also think it was done at a time that there wasn't as much visibility into what was happening to these companies. If you look at the layoffs taking place at Amazon and Apple, um, these are not seasonal layoffs. Uh, 10,000 people as Amazon is the largest corporate layoffs I believe they've done. Uh, you see what's going on with Disney and you see what's going on with their stock price. Again, I'm referring to stock prices here because to the degree that companies are beholden to investor bases, that I think will drive some of the decisions going forward. Um, yeah, if the base case is 1.5 and they come in slightly below it, I think it's it's not going to surprise me at all. I think they'll retain the value, if not see a slight increase over the current, because they're going to package in the next day, the next day rights. Right. Right. So you're getting more for a little bit more, a little bit more of a price, but you know, net net, is it really the increase that everyone's expecting or looking for? I think UFC and AEW are unique positions also because they provide a pay per view model. One of the things I've been considering is whether or not somebody wants to get in business with WWE, bring them onto the streaming, and then spend all the weekly television time advertising premium events on another network. I find that to be a bit of a, a conflict. Right? Is Amazon going to say on Monday Night Raw or on Thursday uh, or Friday SmackDown, hey, go, to, go subscribe to Peacock to watch the premium event? doesn't make much sense to me. It's not that they may not do that. It may be... Peacock wants to get out of the deal and they want to sell the whole thing off. We've seen different... Um, it's it's not exactly the same. Yeah. Is, that, is that a lot different than the NFL has every TV partner? 
and the NBA has ESPN and WBD. Um, MLB is on ESPN and and Turner WBD. Is that it's not quite the same as like build 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 peak event, but it's it's definitely and, and you, I think you do even here right like you I I think I've seen this season NFL games being promoted on a given network that are being aired on a different network. Um, I don't know about like reg, regular season, but they do that for the playoffs for sure. So, like, if you watch a playoff game in CBS, you'd be like, oh, later tonight on Fox will be, you know, the Eagles and the Giants or whatever. Like, you see that on playoffs. I don't know. I'll pay attention today. I don't know if you hear them see that much regular season. You've seen them do the Nickelodeon experience where they put it on for the kids. Um, they, they do cross-promote, but that's always been the case, and it's never been the case where you are cross-promoting to somebody that is a direct competition to your subscribers. Right, so if you have CBS, you have Fox. If you have cable, you have the rest of the networks. Now I'm paying whatever I'm paying for Amazon Prime, but they're telling me to go pay money to Peacock. I think that's just a different dynamic here than what we've all lived with for the last however many years with cable. And as far as the the pay per view stuff, my understanding is BR Live or or whoever AEW is doing their pay-per-view streaming from, but mostly BR Live, I believe, in their partnership. In in the U.S., it's BR Live. um, Internationally, Fight. And for the first time, there was some YouTube distribution to the pay-per-view for this pay-per-view. And and UFC has proved to be very successful for ESPN Plus and being able to to upsell. And that, to me, is a bit of an advantage for UFC and I think will be useful for AEW, the ability to provide that upsell that they've now conditioned an audience to, you know, we've seen this year, maybe not as good compared to last year with the punk pay-per-views, but consistently doing good numbers. And that, to me, is something that will be a bit beneficial for them, especially coming in with a lower, probably, price point than WWE is for their renewal. Yeah, I, I think there's, even if, let's just assume that there's a weak market generally for for tv rights fees um which isn't the case right now every deal that i'm aware of has been an increase um at least on like a per hour basis per game basis however you want to put it um and when i say every i guess going back at at least the last several years um i know there was one mlb deal that was lower but it was for fewer games um so generally, it's it's everybody's getting a raise still. Um, I think even if we enter a world, and it would have to start happening pretty soon, where TV rights are aren't just automatically getting an increase, uh, AEW is in a was in a nascent a more nascent position in uh, 2020 than it is today. It was less proven. Uh, then in, in January 2020, when it signed its current deal, than it is today. Um, it is when you compare it to the the leading wrestling content, which is WWE, Raw, SmackDown, um, on a on a per hour basis, on, on the rate at which they deliver viewers, AEW is way undervalued. So I think you could st- even if the the bubble bursts, worst case scenario. It seems pretty likely to me, even against some massive headwind like that, that AEW would still get an increase. Um, I always want to point out to to the the, the W and AEW warriors who may be listening that 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 would still mean that AEW would be making less TV money than WWE because W is just so far ahead currently. Um, but yeah, I, I think WWE is or AEW is in a 
particularly likely situation just because they are a, a newer and more a less proven property in the first place. Um, but yeah, I, 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 the, the argument that I've, I've made, made to you, MJ, is that I think there's, even if there are these sort of problems with the, the suitors, with the buyers, um, even if their businesses are really having problems and they don't have the money to, to make great offers on this content, the, the fact that these most popular shows are not just a little bit more popular than, than the next tier down, but they are extremely more popular than the next tier down. So that I think as long as they're able to aggregate as many eyeballs as they do to the, to the, the extreme rate at which they do, let's, let's say the top 10. And I was trying to, as you were talking to find, find an Excel spreadsheet that would quickly show a chart that would illustrate this, but it's, it's, I, I will draw it with my finger for people watching on YouTube. It's an exponential trend where you have the top, top 10 or, or 20 shows that are like a straight up line. And then everybody else is way down in this curve where there's not a lot of differentiation. So in this top, I don't know, 5% or something like that, there's an extreme concentration of value. And I have to think that, and maybe this is, this is me over relying on data, maybe that there's, as long as there's, there's that extreme disparity in the top 10 or 20 shows, there's going to be an extreme disparity in the value. I guess the argument against that is that, well, everybody's value is going to fall. And so they could still be extremely more valuable than the rest of them, but still be, um, you know, but still lose value. Um, but I, I guess I think in the, in the broader media economy, there's that, that exponentiality will continue to be uh, more exacerbated. That that um, sort that, that that the extremeness of that curve of the exponential curve will is only likely to become more extreme as media continues to, to fragment, as the entertainment options continue to increase. Uh, whether that's gaming, whether that's uh, streaming, whether that's traditional TV still existing, whether that's people watching WrestleNomics Radio on YouTube, there's just an endless supply of entertainment options that are continuing to create harder and harder competition for everybody so that the biggest winners, I think, continue to have the biggest value that the, the distributors will have to pay an extreme premium to have. And do you think that translates to streaming as an option? Yes, because I think um, this, I want to say, luxury that we all have in paying 10 or $12 per month for streaming is, is a fading phenomenon. Uh, and everybody's going to kick and scream about it, just like they've kicked and screamed about their cable, uh, but they'll continue to pay it, or enough of them will continue to pay it so that these media companies are able to get the profitability off of this content that, that they ultimately want. The, the challenge is, how does this friction play out? And do there, do there end up being, like we saw at the very beginning of the W Network, these six-month commitments or something like that? And I think you will see, see crack, cracking down on... Uh, account sharing and things like that. And what it'll be very interesting to watch, and uh, part of me is I did not do my research on this next point that I should have, what is the um, incremental increase to Amazon Prime subs because they now have Thursday Night Football? Yeah, it's probably not a lot, right? Um, are there other values that they're getting out of that? Is it data? Is it the ability to market to those people who are watching and, and get them to spend money on, on retail? 
Um, to the degree that the e-commerce business is not necessarily the revenue driver that it's made out to be, or it's starting to slip a little bit, you know, I question what that um, the, the marginal increase is, or the the, the benefit being being driven is. Um, if you tell me that, maybe part of that is like maybe there isn't a clear strategy in in those offices, like, but but it's it, but the. The notion that they want to collect all of this time, time spend, people's time engaged with the content is the assumption is that, you know, eventually, as, as, as our teacher George Barrios taught us, the money will follow the eyeballs and will monetize it in some way that will be profitable. Sure. And, and we have to see these streamers evolve more. I mean, Amazon Video, Amazon Prime Video, they call it? Yes. So I'm new to that. So they did get me as a, as a marginal increase. Uh, it's been around for a while. I don't know how much it grows year over year. I think the other platforms, uh, Paramount Plus, Peacock, Disney Plus, uh, HBO Max, which will become the Discovery HBO combination. Yes. It'll be interesting to see how much they continue to grow year over year. Netflix has now hit that point of kind of stagnation, plateau, they'll be up or down based on what content they have. Like you said, will they be able to keep people locked in for a longer period of time? Perhaps, and I think that is their strategy, but they'll also offer a cheaper alternative and then rely on the advertising market. Now, if cable itself can't last the test of time just based on consumer behavior in the advertising market, right? We see that the slow decline in cable trends, and I won't go as far to say cable's going to die, but obviously not the business it once was. Well, we'll try to get Rich Greenfield on another day. <laughs> is it prudent for these companies to go chase a strategy that is reliant on advertising and consumer behavior to keep spending more and more and more year over year on the properties? I don't pretend to be that I have every answer. I know this to be true. I just think about it through these lenses, which I think is different than the average sports rights only go up. Because uh, at one point you could have said a lot of things only go up until they don't. And that's what I'm looking at as the environment changes. Again, different than a recession, but recessions change consumer behaviors. Maybe you don't need six streamers and you come out of 2023 and you say, you know what, these two are good enough for me. Uh, and then there's always the way that people get around watching other different, uh, you know, through other means. Yeah. Okay, it's just about 1 o'clock, so I think we need to uh, re release uh, the, the Buffalo Bills fans to go watch the Buffalo Bills. Um, so, but yeah, I think, uh, I think it'd be interesting to see when, say, TV, pay TV gets down to like 60 million. Because then it's, then it's really in the realm of what, say, Netflix is doing in the U.S. If, if that changes the, the economics in some interesting way. But anyway, um, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up. I just want to say quickly, you know, I, I spent... Uh, a lot of the afternoon uh, at the Q at QXT's nightclub, and I know MJ were there too. And uh, we we visited with uh, uh, many people for the uh, the post wrestling five year anniversary. Uh, um, Robert Pearson did a great job setting it up and uh, providing a, a great backstage area with uh, with with seltzer and and lots of other stuff. It was catered. Um, I'd like to plug his company real yeah. digital um yes. they do great work and robert has been a great member of the community um, he, he did um the, the russellomics mug design yes. um so it was really great to, to meet everybody and to talk to everybody in person you know pe people that you you know online for for years and to to meet them in person finally 
So then that was a, a, a great time. And, and, and not just that, but just like this whole weekend of uh, I met, met Lavi. Uh, we had breakfast. I, and, I saw uh, the picture. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I, I met Dr. Chris Ely. I met MJ from NJ and, uh, and, and lots of other people. Um, so it's, it's been a really nice time. And it was, it's a, it's a, the, the post event in particular is a, a great highlighting of, of, uh, the, the great community of, of, of people that they've, they put together. Um, yeah. So any, anything else to add? These weekends are always a lot of fun whenever we get together. Um, I came up really last as, as a post wrestling OG. As a post-wrestling OG, but also just as a member of the wrestling community and wrestling world. Uh, I've gone to a few different events in the last two years, and they're always a great communal experience with the AEW crowds. I will say, warm weather markets, because I feel there's a lot better energy and a lot better vibe. <laughs> this would have been better if it, if it wasn't free. It was, it was very cold in New York as well, and New Jersey. Uh, no snow, though. No snow. <laughs> no snow. But... All right. All right. We'll, 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 we'll let everybody go. Thanks for, for listening. Um, I have a Patreon. There's a WrestleNomics Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. You can get my TV ratings reports and a lot of other information uh, there for just $5 a month. Um, anything to plug all? Uh, just a, b- a big wrestling week for me. <laughs> Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, I'll be ring-announcing Revenge Pro Wrestling. Friday after Thanksgiving, I'll be ring-announcing ESW uh, WrestleBash. And then the Sunday, uh, Sunday... Uh, evening uh bcw i'll be uh, debuting a new interview segment but i'm also a heel manager there so it's like a piper spit type thing so okay. <laughs> yeah. uh anything you want to plug mj never anything to sell um go follow the post wrestling group go follow wrestlenomics obviously you're already doing that um i really value and respect the work that both groups put out it was great to be with everyone like you said okay okay thanks for listening talk to you next time